Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of my brand spanking new podcast, Terrace Memoirs. Uh, I am Dave Harris and a, this podcast is inspired by my own personal journey of following my football club, Reading, guarded from the random yet quite frankly awesome conversation with supporters of other clubs who I've never met before or since on journeys to and from both home and away matches. I'll seek to explore the roller coaster of emotions and experiences felt following guests' specific clubs and attempt to discuss the deeper meaning of personal friendship and family bonding found within football. More importantly, though, I aim to give fans of all clubs a platform to tell their story. So without further ado, let me introduce Terrace Benoit's first ever guest. Um, a fellow Reading supporter since 95, this popular and widely recognised fan possesses an impressive memory for footballing statistics, much to my chagrin while also appearing to be a magnet for Eddie Greville's camera. Uh, in addition, he must be able to boast to be the only supporter on earth to have ever brought a brace of pheasants into a football stadium. So it's a big <laughs> welcome to Jamie Butler. How are you, mate? Yeah, hello, mate. I'm good, thanks. You all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. So, Jamie, where did it all start for you? Well, first of all, Dave, thanks for having me on, and I'm glad that you brought up my... Uh that catalogue of knowledge because I was going to remind you of beating you in the final of the Royals quiz 2019 which feels like a lifetime ago now with everything that's gone on in the world ever since but um, I, I my first game was back in August 1985 um, so I'm not even a you know a, a kind of a glory supporter from the Bolton player final not that there was any glory on that day but yeah it was for half an hour <laughs> yeah um but um yeah i i didn't actually go to a game until a few months later so i was oblivious i was five six years old at the time i couldn't even tell you that reading had made it to the playoff final and um then yeah i remember a couple of weeks after my sixth birthday i went to watch us uh, midweek under the floodlights at the old elm park for the visit of millwall so uh, you were probably at that game were you um I wasn't actually, but I know a fair amount about it. Um, yeah, a bit of a baptism of fire, I can imagine. Uh, Mickey Gooding sent off, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Simon so. Shepherd having a spanner thrown it, is it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was six years old, carried in by my uncle under his armpit on the old South Bank Terrace. I, I don't really remember, you know, any kind of violence or anything like that. Obviously, I've heard over the years about the spanner incident, but. I do vaguely remember Mick Gooden getting sent off and I can go straight into it and tell you quite a funny story actually from a few years ago now. So back in 2010-ish, we we um, yeah, we were in Croatia watching Reading on pre-season <laughs> and um, we're on the flight out there, me and a few of the boys, Mick Gooden was on the flight with us. So we're having a drink with him and we said, oh, you know, we'll, we'll see you out there um, over the next week or so. So one of the games, we we get there and we get to the, the, the stadium. Um, it's in the middle of nowhere, a little town called Zapresic, just outside of Zagreb. <laughs> and um, Mick Gooden's there. So we took him under our wing and had a few beers with him before, <laughs> Tim, before Tim Deller had turned up. And uh, Mick Gooden was your typical kind of Geordie, sort of got, it was boiling hot. He took his top off, had it on his head to um, protect himself from the, the sun and we're sort of all sitting around having a few beers and that and I'm like my first ever game you got sent off you know blah blah chewing his ear off and then um, he told me all about what happened he, he basically said that in the first half 
Um, they, they've been overran with the ball a bit. So at halftime, they'd all agreed to keep it tight going into the second half. He'd already had a booking in the first half. And mm-hmm. um, he said that Dylan, he, he peeled short from the midfield. Dylan Kerr was meant to play the ball into his feet. Instead, he, he knocked the ball into the channel. So he had to go hair and off chasing after the fullback and mm-hmm. went steaming in, took him out. So he was there yeah, a few years back now, having a few beers with me, telling me all about how it's Dylan fucking Kerr's fault for uh, for stitching him up. And, um, <laughs> There's never, so, yeah. never, 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 you can never, um, uh, players, they always, there's always an excuse. There's always, always blame, isn't there? Never, yeah. never necessarily that that individual player's fault. I mean, I've spoken to to, to Geordie, Mickey Gooding, a few times as well mm. uh, down in the hotel, um, yeah. and he's he, you know he's, he's got a fantastic recollection for uh, for his career and the games that he played in. Um, he's, he's, he's a really really engaging speaker. Yeah. Um, bizarrely enough, and we were one 0 up at half time, so you know, given that you know we were still um, looking to, um, it sounds very strange to keep sort of keep it tight and and, and, and mix it up. Get it being, being overrun, but still being one nil up. But there yeah. we go. So yeah. that was ninety. Yeah, that yeah. Was presumably ninety five, ninety six. Um, yes. So, yeah. So, so start uh, of the season. Yeah. Carry on. Sorry. Yep. Yes. Yes. So start of the season. Start of ninety five, ninety six season. Um, you know, I, I grew up in West Reading, so I was fortunate enough to have Elm Park there on my doorstep. You know, I, I, even when I drive past. Right now, some twenty odd years on after we've we've moved on from there, I still can vividly visualise the stadium. Yeah. The even the news agents that were sort of up and down Wantage Road that are now flats and, and stuff like that. You know, yeah. I still see that as the football ground. Whereas I speak to people that have moved to the town or are younger, and they're like, "You what? That was a football stadium there." Yeah, it's kind exactly. of weird because I, I can still picture the rural. What, rendezvous and all that but when I that ran, was that I was what I was young. that was what I was going to say was that was my my vivid recollection is uh is is along the tireless road looking down towards um towards the Oxford Road past the the Catholic Church and then you, you know that yeah. it's obviously it's obviously not there anymore but the, the main entrance to what is now the Elm Park residential area was yeah. the was the the entrance down to the South Bank um, at the South Bank turnstiles with the the greasy burger van on just on the inside that you could smell and the queue to get into the rendezvous yeah it's all it's all very evocative yeah. and these are the sorts yeah. of things that you that you do remember um, as you know as, as a young kid I mean I first went on the South Bank in in um, 94 um, mm. my first South Bank uh, game was actually Notts County in 94 95 um, which is mm. infamous for uh, for the um, the pipe Having uh, sorry, the fan having the pipe in his uh, in his pocket smoking incident. Mm. Um, but yeah, so yeah, all those those memories are yeah. It's yeah. yeah it's every much, it's every 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 football. fan every club has them, don't they? But you know, for us for us too, yeah. It's it's yeah. The South Bank. Yeah. It's all about the South yeah. Bank. Yeah, definitely. And look, you know, I'm I'm not going to come on here and be like I, I went 50 times or I went 20 times a season. I yeah so I, I I first started going. My uncle took me to football, so um, it wasn't that I was you know going with like a elder brother or nothing like that. Um, you know, it was my uncle that took me, um, and I was fortunate enough to be there for I would say a lot of memorable times. So games like the Friday night Notts Forest game where Jamie Lambert picks the ball up and. 
waltzes around the defence and knocks it in for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the game where Trevor Morley scored a bicycle kick, the game where we beat Sunderland 4-0 and yeah. Sam ran on the pitch and kicked the ball in the back of the net yeah. in anger. You know, games like that, are, you know, I was there for. Um, you know, I'm very lucky that, that I was there. I also, I went to Battle Primary School, so okay. I yeah. spent, you know, every day of my life for for that period of, of my life, I, I went past the football grounds going to and from school. You know, there was um, times where I can remember they had a competition in the school where you got the chance to go for a little tour around the ground and, and whatnot. And I, I can remember having a chat with Darren Caskey in some of his early days at, at Reading. Mm-hmm. I remember him being... Record, record signing years. Darren Caskey. Yeah. Sort of laid up on the injury bench and like chatting with him. It's really vague recollection now, but... Yeah, um, you know, quite a funny tale from that sort of time as well, being a, a young lad. I remember one day my mum was driving me to school. She swung around the corner from Wantage onto Norfolk Road. And mm-hmm. uh, two blokes in tracksuits were sort of running across the road to the newsagents. And and she's sort of cursing at them, get out of the fucking way. And it was <laughs> Jimmy Quinn. <laughs> I can't remember who the other one. And I'm like, mum, you nearly ran over us. Not only the manager, but the, probably the number one striker as well. Yeah. Certainly, uh, certainly one of the first choice ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, and obviously Elm Park is something that holds a lot of special memories for people. But I can't come on here and be like, yeah, I was there hundreds of times or tens of years. You know, you you'll have a queue of people to to talk to around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's never, never going to be. Um, well, you're not always going to get everybody who remembers every single old no. ground or their, their particular old ground. It's one of those things. Um, you know, life goes on, though. Yeah. But, you know, any. So your uncle was uh, is is the person responsible, and that kind of rings true with me because my my uncle is also the person responsible for um, my obsession with 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 Reading Football Club and, mm. and, and football in in general. So. Um, in the in the most tentative way possible, because I'm fully aware of which way this might go. Does yeah. he still go? Do you still see him? Or? Yeah, yeah, he still goes. So we have a season ticket next to each other in the East End, um, and yeah, he's yeah still obsessed with football. If I pick up my phone and go on WhatsApp, I've normally got a text from him that's yeah. Either he tries bending my ear about women's football. I tell him I'm not interested. He loves watching, <laughs> you know, pre-COVID. <clears throat> one day he'll go and watch the under twenty threes. The next day he'll go watch the first team, and then on the Sunday he'll go watch the women's team. So yeah. he absolutely loves the club in all in all disguises and football in all disguises. So um, you know, even during um, the start of this season when it started at like a local level, I think he still managed to clock up going to something ridiculous like twenty five or thirty games but sort of the non-league grassroots level so yeah mm-hmm. he's uh yeah a real die-hard fan of the game even more so if Reading are involved good stuff so moving on to the Madeski era mm. we, we leave Elm Park in 90 1998 yeah um the, the did you go to the last game at Elm Park incidentally the one nil defeat at Norwich I didn't no so so my uncle uh it's the Reading fan, but my parents aren't really football people. So mm-hmm. stuff like 
the last game at Elm Park. Um, you know, we can come on to it later date, but like the playoff final against Walsall in 2001, we're on holiday. So we're on holiday in May and, and what have you. So I didn't actually go to the, 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 the game against Norwich. Um, I went back a couple of weeks later, though, against uh, Sheffield Wednesday, um, where we had a like a oh the the preseason friendly. No, the I can't. Was it was it a preseason friendly or was it like a testimonial yeah. for someone? I, I remember we I remember the Canio had blue boots on. And I remember him getting dogs abused in front of the South. <laughs> Uh, I yeah, I remember, remember earlier earlier that season, um, Darren Kasky had rocked up with white boots. I think it was against Crew or someone like that, and yeah. uh, we, we were three 0 down inside half an hour. And of course, it was all Darren Kasky's fault because he yeah. got bloody white boots on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Back in the day when 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 you had to be an absolute maverick to to pull that off, whereas obviously today it's you know he, he, every every Division Four Reading Sunday League player wears different. Nobody wears black boots anymore, no. do they? Let's face it. No, no. You've um, got to be a maverick to pull off black boots these days. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, so that that was the last time that I went to Elm Park um, was the Sheffield Wednesday uh, friendly testimonial, whatever it was. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a pre-season friendly. Yeah. I think we had two testimonials there uh, for Fred Neat and Michael Jilks, if I remember rightly. Mm. Um, and there was the uh, the pre-season friendly. Yeah. We won three 0 anyway. Yeah, um, and Graham Murty made his uh, made his debut, if I remember rightly right. as well. Yeah, I, I knew it was three uh, 0 uh, I couldn't tell you about Murty, but I could. I can tell you that. I got lost. I was really, I was, I was still really, I was still really young. Got lost trying to get back to the right part of the the South Bank Terrace um, after going to. Yeah, the you must you must only be sort of eight years old by by this point. Yeah, yeah, eight years old. I, I must have come back out the the wrong entrance. So there's a bit of mad panic. You know, these days it would probably be, you know, you, would, you probably wouldn't let an eight year old go to the toilet on their own, um, or they'd probably have a mobile themselves and call their parents or what have you there's obviously <laughs> none of that and you know busy terrace you're trying to look down the line to see people and remember what row it is and all that yeah. sort of stuff and yeah, you know that's the stuff that you remember equally as much as whatever goes on on the pitch you know it is quite um character building and gives you the you know your formulative years of how to be in a crowd, something that yeah. we're probably all generations are going to have to go back through again um, as we come out of this COVID pandemic. It's probably going to so. learn I mean, again. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's going to be weird just stepping foot in a football stadium again. Yeah, and um, I mean, for me, it's... certainly, it's been over a year now because the, the three games that that Reading uh, that, that we were that, that we had back in December. Yeah. Um, I actually had COVID, so I missed all three of them. Oh, um, mate. So, oh, yeah, I know, man. I know. Well, I had, I, <laughs> I, went, I went to a couple of them and, yeah, you didn't miss much, put it that way. It was, uh, yeah, if you think life at the Medeski is a sanitised version of football at the best of times, imagine the sanitised version of the sanitised version of the game that we grew up loving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With a 3,000, 4,000 crowds and, uh, yeah, yeah. I could, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, move, moving on. So it was about five minutes ago we were supposed yeah, to move sorry, on, mate. but <laughs> um, yeah. So um, early days or formative days at the um, at the Madeski. Um yeah. Presumably, it was your uncle that took you the first time again. Um, yeah. So I, any I, I, any particular memories? Of, uh, do you know what? First first walking in there. Did you go to the Luton game? I didn't go to the Luton game. I I. I um... Yeah, so obviously late 90s, it wasn't 
it's a fashionable thing to be a Reading fan. So I was at school and um, no one that I was mates with was a Reading fan. Suddenly I've gone from having Elm Park on my doorstep to being on the other side of town and, and whatnot. So I didn't, I, I couldn't tell you the first time that I went to Mideski. I remember going to a couple of games sort of late. I, I'm clutching here, but I'd, I'd say we're talking probably like early 2000. I remember there was one game we went to. My uncle had managed to blag some tickets in the Upper West and we had Burnley at Posh home. Boy. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know what was going on. It was a rare experience, but we got, we had, we had tickets and it was a nil-nil draw against Burnley. And this is the days when they had Stan Turner. I think they might have even had just about Glenn Little, but they had the talisman. Uh, was it Billy Painter, Andy Painter, uh, whoever it was? Andy, Andy Payton. I think, yeah, that's it. And Andy I, Payton, yeah. And I remember he, he, I remember him playing well. And I remember being up there. And um, that's about all. I remember it was a nil-nil game. Yeah, um, I remember. So, I remember the game well. Um, yeah. Burnley actually went up that season. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and they were they were flying high at that point. But yeah, Stan Turner was their was their manager. Yeah. Um, yeah. Glenn Little definitely played for them as well. I mean, Glenn Little actually. Uh, Glenn Little and Andy Payton. This is this is this is trivia knowledge for you. Mm. Um, and that, that just any listeners, this this will be a recurring theme. Trivia knowledge. Um, Andy Payton and Glenn Little were the uh, were the um, the combining pair for the first opposition goal at the Madeski. Um So there you go. Right, One all right. draw in uh, in the, I think it was the third the third game, um, and they were down to ten men as well, and they battered us in the second half. Yeah. We weren't very good under Tommy Burns, but God rest his soul. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So, could, if, could you got any recollections of, um, of of how it felt moving into this or getting into this this you know this plush, beautiful new stadium as it was back then? Um, yeah. I can certainly remember my own being, "Wow, is this really Reading?" You yeah. know, it just seemed to be completely off the scale from where we'd gone, where we'd been from yeah. to where I mean, we'd gone. The one thing that I really remember about that Burnley game, if I you know, if I take that as being my my first game at the Medeski is obviously up upstairs in the uh, Upper West as well. Is I remember being freezing. I don't ever really remember being cold at Elm Park because you, you know, you're, you're crammed in tight. You've got loads of other people around you, and then all of a sudden, I remember being freezing cold, watching a, you know a game, and you and you've got a view which is up there with the view that you would get from watching the Champions League midweek on ITV. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but, yeah. But but also probably, you know, I've gone from being eight or nine years old on the South Bank, only really being able to see probably a third of the game over people's shoulders to actually being able to see the whole view, see the whole picture. I remember the pitch felt massive um, and it felt really far away, um, which is probably what it's like in the Upper West most of the time anyway. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I can say, um, yeah, for, I've been up there. I, I, I do like to go over there for the uh, for, for the occasional sort of early early round league cup game. Um, and even though you know, sort of, if you sat right sort of right at the front, you, you, you get a very good perspective because you're that little bit closer to the pitch, so you're sort of more overlooking yeah. the touchliners. You get yeah. a better perspective from the from the game from from that point of view. And when there's not going to be much in the way of an atmosphere, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's okay to go to. But 
I went um, just before Christmas 2019. Me and a few of the boys had a box for the game. I think we beat Derby 3 0. Um, I only really watched the first half and then I didn't go out from the bar for the second half. I watched it on the telly inside. But it, it was a Christmas <laughs> yeah. jolly up. And um, the view up there and the seats were just so comfortable. It was just one of the. One of the best things that I've done, definitely. I, I, I owe a mate of mine a big favour for looking after us that day because uh, yeah, yeah, I, you, you I get looked I, after in there. My, I, you, you absolutely do. And in fact, this my, my little story for for this episode is, um, as I've mentioned about sort of two or three minutes ago, that, that that I hadn't been to a match for 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 over a year now. Now my last match was Barnsley at home on the 29th of Feb. Yeah. Um, and I was in hospitality. It was my brother's my brother's 40th birthday. Mm. Uh, and of course, we scored early on. Yaku Mate, my brother and I, were out there in the in the nice plush seats, um, and uh, get in half time, have the old the meal and the pudding and whatnot. Yeah, I didn't go out for the second half because I just carried on drinking and did yeah. exactly what you did. So, of course, um, what did I miss? I missed George Puskas' goal, um, yeah. and uh, and that was actually the last goal that I, in inverted commas, saw at a football match, which I yeah. didn't actually see. Um, well, yeah. I did something similar that day. So me and a couple of boys were like, you know, the world's going to end at some point. We might as well get in a, a you know, one last drink at the football before the inevitable um, hits the fan. So we, we went out and, yeah, we I, I can remember Puskas' goal. But seriously, I was steaming drunk at that game. Um, I think I might have seen the Puskas goal upstairs in the Jazz Calf because, again, it was end of Feb, pretty cold. You know, we got a, a drink on the go. Um, and I remember we we, we finished the, the game in the Hilton um, on the A33. Um, and not long after, Michael Jukes walked in and had a beer with him and put the world to rights. Um, but yeah, that for me as well, I did the same. You know, the last, at the time I didn't realise, but it was the last chance to watch Reading in normal circumstances and too busy stuffing my face full of uh, one too many hamsters. <laughs> yeah, well, quite. Um, <laughs> this is, this is um, yeah, very much. Very, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can imagine that, it, uh, that, that drinking might be a recurring theme. It certainly will be if ever I get round to telling my story. Yeah. Um, but so um, you, you mentioned there that you've you know you, and, and as well fairly uh, fairly well known that you've got a very very good and very close circle of friends, um, yeah. which uh, who presumably um, you've 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 met through through the medium of football, um, which you mentioned earlier that you still sit with your uncle um, when we're allowed to clearly, mm-hmm. um, but yes you you still also got this very close circle of friends. So how how did that? Um, how did that come about? How did that kind of those those friendships and relationships start developing? A lot of it just happens organically. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I've had various stages in my life where I've turned around and looked at my uh, immediate circle of friends and you look at it and you go, well, I know that person through going to watch Reading. I know that person through going to watch Reading. There's one point where, you know, a few years back, I was like, I'm really not sure about renewing my season ticket. And then I sat down and I thought, well, if I don't have my season ticket, then this is how I know all my mates. And, and you know, this is what I do to see my mates. So I was like, well, it's 400 quid so or whatever it was at the time. So, well, that's well worth spending, even if I'm not enjoying 
the football or or what have you. So. Um, yeah, it's just it's it has just, been very, very difficult to renew that season ticket at times, <laughs> yeah. though, hasn't it? I mean, for Christ's yeah, sake, but it has. I mean, you know, I'm I, I'm going back a few years ago now, probably a good yeah, ten, eleven years now. But I was like, can I be bothered for another season? You know, I'm sort of twenty, twenty-one year old lad. Is there more to do with the world? But there's something about it that just always kept you there, and invariably, the players come and go. I'm not particularly fond of many of them right now or, or have been for a number of years um, but it's it's what that the crest on the shirt represents and you know, yeah it's, it's, there it's is that the that feeling yeah sorry there, there is that feeling now that um, so I, I think I get where you're coming from that many of the players um, they it, it's not like it used to be where players who who um, they'll play for a club and yes, they'll have a career, but they'll also, they'll have an affinity with that particular club. And you, you, mm. you don't always feel that now. Um, it's, it is, a, it's a career, but it's a, but it's a manufactured um, uh, sort of professionalism, I suppose is the only way I yeah. can really describe it. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, you know, you like, we, we were saying earlier, Andy Payton, Burnley, you know, you, you always had these sort of players that, you would just associate with a club. Yeah. You'd be like, you know, he's a talisman and he's one, he's a, probably the one that comes to mind right now is somebody like, and he's a little shit bag and I, and I don't like him. I didn't like him when he played for us. I don't like him because he gave it the big one against us after knocking us out of the FA Cup last year as well. But one that springs to mind straight away is Billy Sharp at, at Sheffield United. You know, you think of Billy Sharp, you think of Sheffield United, you think of Vardy, you think of Leicester, there used to be all these players throughout. And we're not talking about the pre-Premier League days or 20 years ago or anything like that. Some of this is in the last 10 years or so. Yeah. We've, we've seen things change again even more. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I can't disagree. can't disagree there at all. I mean, so you look, you look back to, like I say, even 10 years ago, um, and I think this, this perhaps... This, I might be going going slightly off kilter here a bit, but certainly with with Reading um, under Steve Coppel and under Brian McDermott, we lost our way a bit under um, Rogers. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, Steve Coppel got players um, predominantly um, sort of intelligent players who had an affinity, and and, 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 it, and and these players, the majority of them, lasted years at Reading Football Club. Some mm. of them really made their names at Reading Football Club, and even going before that, Pardew. Some of those players were were. Uh, Pardew. Likewise with, with McDermott. Now, with some of those players that we had under McDermott, Rogers signed them. Um, so players like Joby McEnough, but some of them came through yeah. the uh, came through the, uh, the, uh, the youth system, like Jem Carrish and Alex Pierce. And I'm sure if you bumped into either of those, um, or any of those players um, now, um, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, hesitate in in uh, regaling some of the stories that they had and, and the good times yeah. that they had at Reading. Now, of course, having a very a successful side helps. Um, mm. You know, I don't think we're going to necessarily see um, uh, some of the more recent um, players um, to play for the club to, to, who might have good good words to say. So, I mean, in fact, yeah. you know, you have players like uh, Joey Vandenberg, who yeah. in the end didn't badmouth the club, but badmouth some of the. Uh, you know, the, the, the later 
coaching staff and whatnot went on record and, uh, and, and like what you, know, you saw Jan Kermigan mm. as well did the same. You know, these were players who, who you know, don't get me wrong, they're still giving 100% in the shirt, but there isn't that affinity with, with, with the club as, as what most clubs, yeah, if not all clubs, had before. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, but I think when we had people like Koppel and McDermott, the players are just... Obviously, it was a different time, but they the, the sort of signings that we made, they they had a point to prove generally, and it feels a bit like players now, like Redden's a, a paycheck and it's an easy touch, and it's been that way for a number of years. But at the same time, like people don't need to be successful here for them to gain respect of the fans or to be welcomed with open arms. I mean, I someone like Paul McShane, he was here for a few years, most of the time that we were here. We were, we were dirt. We yeah. We had one. We had a good season with it. Now that's not because of him. I'm just saying, like whilst we were here, uh, well, sorry, whilst he was here, it wasn't a particular. It wasn't a successful time for the club. No, but he's still somebody that, if I saw him in the street, I would um, have respect for him, have a chat with him. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, he he gave he gave. I mean, he he was the sort of player. I think that you know, you take a look at sort of Hull fans, Sunderland fans, Rochdale fans now, yeah. perhaps. Um, would turn around and be in exactly the same boat. You know, he wasn't yeah. the, the the most talented player, um, but at the same time, uh, he played in the Premier League. He got, he mm. you know, he always gave one hundred percent. You know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. As as Reading fans found out at Stevenage, um, yeah, oh, uh, yeah, you know, right rightly or wrongly, um, you know, he 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 expressed his view, um, and yeah. I think that should be that you know, um, to an extent that should be lauded. Um, but also, yeah. he 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 you know he was the sort of player to 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 engage with fans, um, and mm-hmm. you know you look at what he what he what he did when uh, when we when we survived. I think it was a couple of two three years ago. Uh, we survived yeah. relegation. And you end up in the Scruffy Murphy's. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, buying rounds for yeah. everybody now. Uh, that's one of the times where I actually really regret living where I do, uh, fifty miles yeah. away, because uh, yeah. it was on half an hour's whim, and um, yeah, well, we could have all had a. At a, at a rather nice night in the Irish bar in Reading, but hey, yeah. salary. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I, I get exactly where you're coming from. Um, and, and players like him, and you know, even that, every club needs them. Every club really yeah. does 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 need them because they um, they're a, a dying breed, I think. Yeah, um, in, in my view, um, you, you're getting more and more players like like like, uh, like you're seeing like. Uh, going towards the very top end, uh, like Jesse Lingard and Paul Pogba, um, and uh, yeah, all right, that's that, that's the extremity. Um, but coming down, um, you know, you always get that filter effect. I think from the Premier League. I don't know what you think yeah, about that. But... It drips down, doesn't it? I mean, you know, for years we've seen the Championship was basically blended into Premier League Two. You know, you look at the quality of players that. That have come in, you know, some of the signings which have been made, some of the money that's been spent, and then you look at it and you think, well, on the one hand, we're little old Reading. <laughs> on the other hand, we haven't helped. We haven't really helped that situation by, you know, all right, yeah. it's, it's a, you know we're one twenty fourth, but yeah, um, we we we're guilty of of massively spending and, yeah, and, and overspending, not just on on what we what we've got um, financial wise, but also what we've got. Ability-wise, you know, you look at the contracts yeah, that were dished out. It's just, oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could do a whole hour on the, you know, the summers where we've spent 
under Gourlay and Heverdon and four-year deals for Aluko, Vakuna, Mobaro, <laughs> you, you know, Vandenberg, you know, you can go through them all. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. Lloyd Behrens, there's, there's another one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, Joseph yeah, Mendes. <laughs> yeah, like I say, we could be here for hours going through that. So, so you know, but if I think about like life at the Medeski, you know, things change. I know we ultimately went up that year, but things did change that January the twentieth, January two thousand twelve. When, when um, I always remember it, it was like a Friday afternoon. I'm in the office. A couple of other Reading fans have called me and said, "Oh, have you seen the club statement that's gone out?" What are you on about? And they said, "Oh, ten sport investments have invested in us." I'm like, "Okay, I'm in the middle of work." Like, but I can tell you right now that watching Reading is never going to be the same again. Exactly. And I think the next day, I think the next day, I think I'm right in saying this. We got done one nil at home by Hull. We did. Um, Aaron McLean, he was miles offside, and the play the play stopped, but the ref blew it blew him on and. And um, and he scored, and, and I'm like, well, we're gonna, you know, be the the one club in the league that's going nowhere, but we've got these investors, and obviously things changed from there. We went on an amazing run, and everyone got caught up. That was probably my favourite time watching Reading was around that sort of time of, you know, that run under McDermott and the the the, the away games that we had. You know, three games in ten days where we went and won at Brighton, Southampton, West Ham. Um, but for me, it was never quite been the same since then. No, I think I think you're right, and this this is where ownership comes in, and this is a, a nice little sort of segue, I think, from the conversation. Um, because fans, um, all sorts, fans of all clubs, they every every club. Um, how am I trying to say this? Every fan of every club sees their sees their club as um, as an individual. Um, they have individual, they have their own ethics, they have their own way of doing things, they have their own history, obviously, their own players, their own kit, and they, everything about the club has to be individual. And for me, um, in, say, you were right, it was January, well, January 2011, it was. Um, uh, no, no, January 2012, Jan, you're right, yes, January yeah. 2012, sorry. Yeah, yep. Thank you. <laughs> but it was wrong. That's why you were runner, that's why you were runner up, mate. <laughs> Yeah, but mate, it was Robbie Brady who scored the winner, not Aaron McLean. So, oh, was it? Yes, oh, it was. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, the, the, so, yeah, we had this big announcement, but like you say, um, the club was never going to be the same again. And that they, you know, TSI and Zingarovic, Anton Zingarovic, in our case in particular, um, just paid lip service about, you know, continuing the Reading way. And that was never going to be the case. In hindsight, it was never going to be the case. And it never was the case. And I think there are so many clubs that perhaps have been in that situation. And, and football ownership these days um, is a, um, you know, when it, I, 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 you've got you've, you've got two two parallel not not parallel two 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 ends of the spectrum. Um, I think you, you know you've got somebody like Andy Holt at Accrington Stanley who I think is doing an absolutely fantastic job. Um, mm. And his principle, and, he, and you know, and he's very, very open with his principles on Twitter, um, to his detriment in, to, in the eyes of the FA as well at times. And then you get look at the other end of the spectrum, and you see um, the parasitic ownership, and you know, and, and, and I mean that in the strongest possible terms, with the likes of Zingarovic 
uh, and, and TSI, and you, you know, and you see um, the guy that uh, the, the guy who actually brokered that deal as well, Chris Samuelson, and he's tried it at Everton before he's he got to us. He's tried it at Villa, and you know, he's it's just you know, you get this, this this level of parasitic ownership, and you see the same names over and over again. Um, mm. The guy who was trying to buy Wigan when they went into admin last season, who, was, who previously tried to get hold of Bolton and and did Watford over, and you, you just thinking, well, why? You know, why? What, yeah. what? What are you trying to gain? And every time fans see that, uh, see those names, it just bleeds dread. And footballers, um, or football has, should I say? Um, uh, it. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that football in itself is um, um, disagree with me all you want. Um, uh, but football itself as a sport has historically been a very socialist type sport, um, but it's now living in a very capitalist world. Um, and you know, capitalism is, is, is winning at the moment. And that, I don't think that's necessarily personally a good place for football to be. Um, mm, I'm not, yeah, but if you look at it globally, then what if, if, I know where I know where you're going at, but if that was the case globally, then America would have won a World Cup by now, wouldn't they? <laughs> and, and, you'd have, and, you, and you'd have and you'd have a Premier League full of Indian and Chinese players, wouldn't you? So I don't think it. I think one of the great things about football is, and there's all the cliches around. It used to be the working man's game, and money's ruined it, and what have you. But it's still meritocracy, you know, and that, and that is why I think a lot of these players at the highest level ultimately go wrong is because they they typically come from working class backgrounds. They don't have pots pissing growing up. All of a sudden, they're, they're good at football. They're not very good at ca- academically. Um, so they, they play football. Um, suddenly, they've got a boatload of money. And if you're 19, 20 years old and you're earning in a week what your parents have earned in a year, then who, you're going to feel invincible. Who's going to stop you? So you look at somebody like a Mason Greenwood or Phil Foden trying to chat those birds in, in Iceland mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever players have done whatever misdemeanour over the years, ultimately a lot of it does come down from the money that's in their back pocket and people around them aren't there to advise them. So it's a massive tangent from Reading. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. No, let's let's bring this back on track, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's get back to it. Let's, let's talk about some away days, shall we? Exactly. I'll go to my first. My first away game was uh, I, my uncle picked a good one to take me to. Twelve years old, so cast your mind back, twentieth of April, two thousand and two. What was the game? Uh, Trambia. No. Two thousand and two. Um, Tramia was around then. Oh, Brentford. Brentford, of course it was. Yeah, yeah. Brentford. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot yeah. it, was an, it so, was an early finish to the season that year, yeah, because of the World was, Cup. Yeah, because of the World Cup. Yep. yep. So, so obviously, in the run-up to that game, um, I knew that we were stuttering and what have you, and the hottest ticket in town was to have a ticket for Brentford away, and I managed to, to have one. Oh, you're lucky, man. 12 years old. I had never been to an away game. You'll always, you'll no always have that over me, Jamie, because I didn't go to that. <laughs> Oh, God, that's the list. So, um, so yeah, I, I went. I remember being in the pub with my uncle and some of his mates, having some food and drink before the game, walking to the ground, thinking this is like Elm Park. This this reminds me of what football used to be like, walking over a sort of bridge over a railway line and, you know, you, you're kind of 
you've got like a mass of other fans sort of building up and snowballing as you get to the ground. I can remember simple stuff like the road being covered in horse shit <laughs> from the, the amount of police Memories, that there. Yeah. yeah, and then being on the terrace and I probably obviously result aside. I remember being crushingly disappointed when Wusu put him one one up and thinking, uh, Martin Rollers. Here we go. Uh, uh, Wusu set it up. I think Wusu crossed it. He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but what I can, what I can remember is obviously Curitan scoring, being delighted, and probably some of my favourite memories of that day. Number one. If there's anyone bothering this, to listen to this and they've got this far in, then first of all, thank you very much. But secondly of all, if you're this far in and you were at this game, let's see if you remember this as well. At full time, the Brentford fans came on the pitch, uh, gave it a big one to all the Reading fans in the, in the away end. You've got Bass Savage on the pitch um, doing the, the moonwalk. You've got uh, players up in the air. And I just remember in the crowd there was a Brentford fan on crutches um, with his kid, teaching his kid to stick his fingers up at the away end <laughs> and just really smug, even at 12 years old, uh, really smug, just thinking, we've absolutely ruined their weekend, haven't we? Well, That's going to be absolutely fantastic. As it turned out, I think we, we pretty much ruined uh, ruined a good decade of their history, didn't we, with that result? Because yeah. it all went downhill from yeah. there. Um, yeah, and, and, uh, and, and then obviously going back to Modeski that night, um, I remember being there in the crowd, the players, uh, the coach came back. I remember seeing uh, A.D. Williams, John Mackey, Martin Butler, Andy Hughes, all dancing on the top of the coach. I can imagine there were a few beers on that coach as well. Yeah, you'd uh, you'd imagine so. So, And then I, I tell you what happened that night as well. Uh, I was having a drink in the hotel with my uncle and his mates. Medeski came downstairs, pissed as a fart, and said, <laughs> "Again, party <laughs> upstairs." Yeah, not yeah. for the first time, and, probably, and certainly not for the last. So he said, "He said party upstairs." There's a few Reading fans downstairs at the bar at the hotel. We went upstairs into one of the conference boxes. Mm-hmm. All the players were there. I remember uh, AD Whitbread being there and some shocking clobber. I remember being twelve and <laughs> looking at him and thinking, "The fuck are you wearing?" And um, and me and a load of other kids that were my age, we sort of um, clambered down into the seats and got on the pitch. And we got a ball. We were having a kick around on the pitch. And it's quite surreal because then I realised I was playing with the kids, um, the, the, the first team players' kids. So I think like Rougier and Phil Whitehead and some other players like came on the pitch. And so I'm there. Just had my first away game. Just seen us get promoted. And now I'm kicking around, kicking a ball around on, on the Wadeski pitch. pitch. The nice, nice. Just surreal. <laughs> so surreal. AD, so. With, with AD Whitbread in his shocking club. And I say, if AD Whitbread yeah. ever, ever actually ends up listening to this, then you've just been absolutely done by what was a 12-year-old. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so from there, you know, I, I was then, you know, begging my uncle to take me to more and more away games. Yeah. Um, obviously, the 2002-03 season was brilliant. Um, I got to go to places like Derby County, <laughs> which at the time, you know, well, they they like... just been relegated and they were a Premier League club. Yeah. You know, with their again yeah. almost brand spanking really? new stadium, Pride Park. Yeah, and then and then a couple of weeks later, you know, you're at the uh, at the the Walkers Bowl, as it was called at the time. Mm-hmm. We were, the, you know, in a similar vein. Are you saying earlier about the first goal by an away team at Medeski? 
little known fact that some people probably don't know is Reading actually were the first away team to score at the Walker Stadium. Jamie Curran penalty. Um, yeah, we were 2 0 down after five. We minutes, were. So I remember doing like. <laughs> So I think Brian Dean and Paul Dickoff, who you know dinosaurs, have been around forever, and you're there thinking, "This isn't Reading, is it? We're in this posh new stadium. We've got these Premier League players. I think and we're two 0 down." Typical, of, yeah, exactly. Typical of Mickey Adams style football. I think we were done by two long balls as well. So, not yeah. ideal. Yeah. <laughs> so and then and then yeah, I got to plenty of away games that season, and and then over the years, I mean, I, you, I think I'm. I'm up to sort of mid seventies in terms of the the number of um, football league grounds that I've I've been to. Um, I lose track with some, you know, where some go down and and some change stadium and what have yeah. you. But I've pretty much since then there's I, I, there's very few major Reading moments that I've missed since two thousand and two. What's the best one? Best one, probably. We didn't get the result that day, but in terms of day out and everything, the Arsenal FA Cup semi-final. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember. That was just amazing. I remember that. I remember the when we beat Bradford in the in the quarter-final replay, and then I remember being in the turtle that night and chatting with some, you know, a couple of elder Reading fans that I won't name them out of respect for them being called elder Reading fans. <laughs> I remember they they really summarised it for me. They were like, "Do you know how many of our mates have died that would love to have seen Reading at Wembley in the FA Cup? Yeah. Forget this in the semi, yeah. or to have seen Reading in the FA Cup semi final when we sort of you know had a toast for for friends past and what have you." And then you think, "Shit, we, you know, we, this is the first time in like eighty eight years that Reading have made it to the FA Cup semi final. Exactly. The old, the oldest, the greatest competition in football history." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, at, at at the time, I can tell you too. I I was training for Brighton Marathon, so I had a few months off to drink. That was the week before the semi final. So my first drink of the year was the semi final day out, five thirty kickoff at Wembley. Me and all the boys met up half eight, eight o'clock, whatever in in town, and just in terms of a day out at the football. Result aside. It's got to be right up there. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, if, if Federici hadn't have let that one through his legs, I'd have fancied our chances to, to go on and, and win the game. Um, but obviously it wasn't meant to be. And also that year, Villa were terrible and Arsenal just battered them in the final. And I think I would have fancied our chances to, to do Villa in the final as well. So that's really up there, but it's also really sort of galling in terms of it's it quite it's quite haunting. It is. I, I completely agree. And in fact, it's not the first time that I've felt that because I think we'd have, um, you know, we'd, we'd have had, if not done them, they certainly had a very, very good chance of doing Villa in the final. Um, back in 96, we uh, we went out of the League Cup quarterfinal to Leeds. Um, nice. And uh, yeah, we they got through to the final and, and just, and they absolutely stunk Wembley out, lost 3-0 in the final to Villa again. Um and um, I just think that even though you know we we that season we we almost well, almost certainly wouldn't have beaten Villa, um, but we'd have put up a a, a a much much better fight than uh, than, than Leeds did. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's, it it's very very frustrating, very and it was upsetting as well. And I remember I remember walking out um, uh, of Wembley that day and just just 
saying goodbye to my brother and my sister-in-law and and uh, and whatnot and uh and then just walking back and just you know on my own um didn't say a word to anybody from the point that i left um to the point that i got back mm. to my my flat as it was in shinfield um yeah and uh it's just you know i i remember feeling absolutely just the worst i've ever felt in the villa quarter final in 2010 having been two nil up um it yeah. wasn't quite as bad as that, but you know, because because going into the game, we're, we're playing Arsenal, and as you undoubtedly mm-hmm. know, we've never even drawn mm-hmm. against Arsenal. No. Um, you know, every single game that we've played, we've lost. Uh, that still carries mm-hmm. if you include extra time. Um, yeah, my mate, my mate Liam. Though, whenever I speak to him, I always tell him, "Well, we drew that game." So after ninety minutes, so. We get we get a draw on our record, and of oh, we got, we got the, two draws. The league, the league cup game, the league cup game. Of we'll course, we'll which, we'll uh, we'll forget we'll forget up. where we were um, going into <laughs> half time. But yes, we did end up with a draw in that yeah. game after ninety yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um, but no, it, yeah. say it, it was. Yeah, walking out and just thinking, we played so well, uh, and Arsene Wenger showing Michael Hector the absolute class on the pitch after the game. Mm. Um, you know. And that's that, that was the thing with Steve Clark as well. Um, is you know, his teams would invariably lose games or not do well in games that they should be doing well in. And yet, when it came to the big, big games, they he he would turn in a tactical performance that was just absolutely second to none. And that was one of them. Um, yeah. And it was just so so yeah, so upsetting, particularly, particularly the way that it that it, that that uh, Alexis Sanchez scored the second. Horrible, yeah, horrible. Yeah, of course, of course. And just on that, you know, I spoke with with a mate of mine the other day. We went for a run, and and we're talking about that Clark team and the start of that 2015-16 season. We were on fire, you know. He did, did have us on, you know, we had a good side mm-hmm. then when we had uh, Vidra Blackman was on all cylinders. Um, Piazon had just starting to come. Blackman was almost a world beater in those in those four or five months, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nor you know, nor Norwood. Um, we still had Robson Carnu, and he still cared enough to to put in a good performance at the time. So we, um, Cleary was all right then. I give him his due. Um, so it's frustrating. He, Steve Clark's one of them where things could and should have been a lot better under his tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely agree. Snaky to us in the end. Um, and let's not let's not. You know, this is another emotion that that football fans sometimes feel, particularly Reading fans. Um, let's not ignore the facts. Um, a lot of clubs managers uh, will talk to to other clubs, um, but Reddit fans had been um, sorely uh, sorely hurt. I think it's probably the best way to describe it by both Mark McGee and Alan Pardew, uh, which is why yeah. um, why the, the Steve Clark debacle um, ended and ended yeah. the way that it did. Um, and I think okay, circumstances with. You know the, the sort of the whole professional side of things, full of making the approach, ready to turn it down. Steve Clark wanting to go and talk to them anyway. Um, you know, it didn't sit well with the owners at the time. Um, but no. yeah, so it when a manager does that, and a manager that everybody has absolute respect in and think is is doing well, and also not forgetting the fact that he ripped the heart out of the club in the summer. Yeah. Um, in yeah. the, you know, in the name of uh, um, uh, wanting the club to be to, uh, to to 
to, to, to lose the sort of three or four year losing cycle that we'd had at that point. Um, yeah. And then decides he's going to, well, yeah. yeah it, you look at, yeah, you look at that as well and you think, well, you got rid of uh, Selby. Uh, I don't think Kingsley's ever been the same again ever since. You got rid of people like uh, Dan and um, and Luke from the, the physio side. Our injury track record in recent years has been, I mean, we're going over ancient history here, but, and the main one was he got rid of Sal Bivo. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we had we had years and years of having great goalies. And then after that, we had, who did we end up with? Uh, Vito Minone. Yeah, Vito Minone. Sam Walker and various people over here. You just look at it and think... Jonathan no, Bond wasn't no, up to it either, no. really, was he? Um, no, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. And, um, and Sal Bivo's gone to Arsenal and carved out a decent career. Well, look at now. who's just turned up at Aston Villa this season. And as Reading fans not obviously yeah. know from, from 2019, um, arguably the best keeper in the Premier League on form at the moment um, in, in uh, uh, Emmy Martinez. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it, it does get disappointing when things like that happen. And it, I think football fans recognise um, that decisions need to be made within the club that aren't necessarily going to please the fans. Um, but when you follow a club, you just want the best. But also at the same time, you need to see that that club is is um, is sticking by what has worked in the past. And of course, Sal Bibbo clearly has worked in the past. Um, we won't mm. go into <laughs> the, the success or not of the mascot necessarily, although I do get get exactly, you know, mm. get exactly where you're coming from. Um, but Sel, 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 talk Sel, about Kingsley Rose tweets. Uh, <laughs> Selby Armstrong's a frigging kit man. Now, now, um, some people would say, "Well, what what difference does a kit man make?" But Selby Armstrong, um, he followed on from uh, from from Ron Grant, did he not? Um, yeah. And yeah, Steve Koppel um, considered Ron Grant to be absolutely critical to the club. Now, I don't, I don't see, I don't see how. And it's going to be very difficult for anybody to explain to me within the football world how um, getting rid of your kit man, uh, or, or so we say, the, the, the kit man um, actually instills a losing culture in the club. And that was one of the examples, one of the one of the reasons that, that Steve Clark gave. And that's upsetting, really, for a football fan. Yeah. When you see somebody who's served the club for years and years and years under multiple managers. Um, yeah, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that personally. Well, again, you know, ultimately, Steve Clark, he was here for, what, 11, 12 months. So, again, it's just the nature of football. They're just passing through. They're just transient. And unfortunately, he, he took apart some people that were that kind of link and connection between fan and, and club. So That's a fair point. Yeah, I can't can't really can't really argue with that. Anyway, moving back moving back mm. to your supporter. Yeah, what else do you want to spin me through? <laughs> yeah. Um it's not just Reading that you've uh, that you followed, is it? Um you you've been no, you, you, I, I, you've I, been overland and sea, not just necessarily I think it was was it you said Croatia that you've been to earlier, uh following Reading, but yeah. it's not just Reading that you followed overland and sea. You've also followed our nation. I have, yeah. So, so I've watched Reading in Croatia, Slovenia, Portugal, 
uh, in preseason and had some fun on those trips. Um, and I've also, yeah, been watch England away 15, 20 times. I've not been for a few years now. Um, but yeah, had some really great trips, mainly not football related. Um, <laughs> basically just using watching England as a as a excuse to visit some far flung corners of Europe with my mates, using up my holiday allowance from work, having the time of my life, travelling around countries. I make it a bucket list, um, I believe. The is it the uh, the bucket yeah. list was to visit visit every uh, every Europe or UEFA capital in the was that right? Uh, I, yeah, <clears throat> when I was nineteen, I got I got a bit down in the dumps about turning into uh, bore an old fart and turning twenty. So I wrote a list of um, thirty things to do before I turned thirty, and one of them was visit all fifty European countries, um, which I did. I completed, and the bulk of that I did because I went and watched um, England away so there's years where um, my favourite used to be like around this time of year actually because you get the double header so uh, like March 2013 I had a trip where we went and watched England in San Marino I didn't get in the game but I watched it from uh, a hill behind one of the goals a bit like you get a sort of tunnel was park. that a game where um, you say you didn't get in the game um was that because in, I, I vaguely recall there being a game where where there were no fans or England fans had been banned or something like that? Um, it was just so difficult. Right. To okay. The stadium was yeah. so small. Yeah. So so I didn't manage to get my way in. Unfortunately, uh, I gave it a good go and gave it a try, but I couldn't get in. So on that particular trip, however, uh, I flew into uh, into Italy. We um, got taxis into San Marino for the day of the game. Then the day after the game, got a train from one end of Italy to the other. Got an overnight ferry to um, from Bari to Dures in Albania. Um, and then a coach into Tirana. So had a day and night out in Tirana. The following day, a nice um, short 10-hour coach journey from... Tirana to Skopje in Macedonia, Macedonia. yeah, yeah. Which I managed to convince my mates. It, I was like, it's only three hours, you know. <laughs> but basically, I was like, this is the only way I'm going to be able to get Macedonia ticked off. So we, we, yeah, we went and had a mooch around um, Skopje, and then uh, went from there to uh, Belgrade. Got another flight from Belgrade to Podgorica, the capital of Montenegro, for the for the the second qualifier of this game. One of my favourite memories, actually, probably watching England is, is this game. It was a like a 10 o'clock kickoff local time. We were drinking vodka all day. <laughs> and yeah. um, and um, the, they had undercover English police out there in Montenegro. And um, they recognised um, us from going to um, watch Reading against Southampton um, the season before. There's a Welsh copper that used to cover Southampton and uh, he clocked us just as we clocked him and he gave us a bit of stick. We gave him a bit of stick about um, the fact that we'd gone down to Southampton and, and had a great result that, that day and night. And um, so he decided to try and be a prick to us and... Um, Basically, we, we turned up, we got tickets for the home end next to the away end, and he was there with somebody from the FA, basically telling the stewards not to let us in. Um, so it's like nine, half nine at night, 
I'm steaming, been in the pub all day. I fought on my feet and uh, reverted to GCSE Italian that I learned <laughs> and, tried, and did my best and tried to convince the stewards that I was, in fact, an Italian tourist, which I do not look Italian. <laughs> um, and it worked. I managed to get into the, into the home end and sort of give two fingers up to the Welsh copper. And I said, you won't be trying that again, will you, Sam? And, um, nice. Uh, and made it in. And then from there, all of you, all of you got from, in, did you? Yeah, we all got in. Um, and then we went from Podgorica to Belgrade. And then I went on solo from Belgrade to Stuttgart for Easter weekend. I, I managed to blag tickets to watch Borussia Dortmund away at Stuttgart. I then also managed to, the darts was on that night. So I managed to like hot foot across Stuttgart on my own at this point to watch Van Gerwen, Vincent van der Voort. Was that um, all the big hitters over at Sindelfin? Yes. It was, yeah. yes. And, and then I got the, the train down to Zurich the next day. So, all in, you know, I'm sort of early 20s at this point, And I think all in all, I'd, I'd done in like 10 or 12 This has got to be before you've, uh, you, you, you've met who is now your wife, surely. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but I managed to get in, yeah, like eight countries in nice. 12 days and three games to to England ones. Okay, I didn't get in the ground for the San Marino one, but I saw some of it and, and um, you know, just trips. Are you able to actually tick San Marino off? Given it, do, they, do they still play in Bologna? Uh, no, so we flew into Bologna and then we got uh, the train to Rimini. We stayed in Rimini, and then we got um, taxis in. Ah, uh, so you've actually, you have actually been. Okay, um, yeah, just. I have take... actually been in San Marino. <laughs> the, the, the point, the point I thought you you might have made was, you know, how long were you there for? But actually, because it's a principality and because it's so small, um, in my mind, the fact that I went there and the same applies to the Vatican and Monaco. Yeah, in my mind. Oh, I absolutely. Take that you've been, you've, that you've been, there. been there. So that was all that matters. There. I've been there. I've <laughs> had a. I've I've had a beer there. So yeah. Um, but then, yeah, you know, and then most recently I've been to watch England. Actually, my most recent time was in Kosovo. Again, I didn't make mm-hmm. it into the ground. Um, the tickets were just so hard to come by that day. Yeah, I can imagine that was very um, popular given the, uh, um, the the friendship between the two countries. Yeah. Well, well, it was just mad, you know. I'd normally go and watch England away and you've got everyone local, whether they're police or civilian, trying to batter you in some kind of way or or extort money out of you um instead we're here in kosovo in a pub by the ground um with local literally the pub was rammed and you'd stand up watch a game and you get a local would say take my seat no 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 you're fine mate you're fine you sit down no please please english in england uh england we respect england take my seat and it's like no seriously sit down and then before you know it, the wait, waiter or waitress would come over, we didn't pay a penny all night. Um, all the locals were, nope, we're so thankful for everything that England did in, in, in the late 90s. And um, it was pretty no, surreal, I can imagine. I can, uh, I, you know, I, I can imagine that that's, that's you, say, you say it's surreal, um, but at the same time, I can, that, that, that there must have been, um, you know, clearly on their side, a great deal of respect for for you know just just just, just the population yeah. of, you know, after what happened with, the, with in the Balkan conflict, um, massively. And, and and on a similar vein, you know, it's not football related, but I can tell you another story from another trip. Again, Montenegro involved. Twenty eleven, the, the qualifier where Rooney got sent off for kicking out an opponent. 
actually missed that part of the game because me and a couple of my best mates, we had an overnight coach to catch from Podgorica to Sarajevo because I was like, boys, I want to take off Bosnia whilst we're here. Um, so we went out in Sarajevo, which is brilliant. And, um, you know, a couple of us ended up in a, in a nightclub. Um, a couple of big meatheads came over. And, yeah, at this point, I'm 22 years old. Um, a couple of big meatheads come over. You're English. Yeah. And we're like, yep. Yeah. And that was it. They took us under their wings and on our arms, on their arms, literally. Uh, I can still remember now, Bouncer came over because um, they had... Uh, um, like lifting like my mate Burnsy up in, into the air and the bouncer came over and said like you know this needs to stop and this guy just grabbed the bouncer by the throat had him up against the wall said these are from England we respect England you leave us alone and again another night where we didn't pay a penny we had every drink bought for us because of the respect from that part of the of the world for um, for us being from England, we were just like, okay, we roll with this, free drinks. You know, we're not exactly flash with cash at twenty odd years old, um, and it was just the most surreal experience. Crack on, <laughs> yeah. You just get me the drinks. I'll, I'll drink them out of respect for you yeah. getting them for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a hard one. Uh, it sounds like it. Um, but then, yeah, but then you know, probably one of the, one of my favourite things that I've ever done, and. Um, the result didn't come off again during my life, but I managed to get a ticket for the semi-final um, in Moscow yep. in 2018. That so, must have been absolutely, I say, regardless of the result, it must have been absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Well, it was it was amazing because of the circumstances. I mean, obviously that summer, it, you know, just being in the UK and and experience. Uh, I just fondly look back and remember it's a hot summer um, and the World Cup was just massive that year um, and it felt like a real party atmosphere and um, I got caught up in it all. Um, I had no intention really of going out to, to Russia. I'd been out there in 2007 for a qualifier. Um, That's actually my first England away game. Um a real eye-opening experience at 18 years old. Is that a 2-1 defeat? Like, yeah. It is, yeah. And, um, you know, I was like, I'm not really bothered about going back. Um, and, I, yeah, I got caught up in the emotion of it all. The uh, There was a big hoo-ha at the time around having to have a fan ID. But we managed to work out that you could just spam the system. So... Um, you could enter random combinations of numbers. I was doing stuff like looking on Instagram, uh, photos of people's tickets that they'd posted to try and work out like the number sequences to basically put into the, the fan ID system. <laughs> and um, I, I remember the, the morning after, so we drew the last group game with Belgium. And the morning after, um, a few of us had said, like, right, let's go for it. I spent all morning at work um, trying to get on the fan ID system I managed to get on brilliant I got out of my fan ID and then um, a few days later um, I had found a way of booking flights with I suppose it was like a lifetime ago that I even booked a flight is it Wings Fly Wings some, some no, Fly with, with, uh, Wings they basically 
With Air, yeah, they basically let you pre-reserve flights and you could pay yeah. a deposit up front. So me and a few of the boys had, had done that. We um, we were ready to go. We did that at full time of the Columbia game. Um, and we had flights booked. And then the morning after the Sweden game. So, you know, we're talking the semi-final is on the Wednesday. I've got flight booked out to Budapest on the Tuesday night. To, to then fly first thing Wednesday morning into Moscow. I've got a hooky fan ID and no match <laughs> ticket to correspond with it. So I spent all Sunday morning with a raging hangover the day after the Sweden game on the on the fan ID site. Managed to get a match ticket. I think it was like 500 quid. Um, but I had a match ticket and then it sort of sinks in. You're, you've got a couple of days where you're just on cloud nine, yeah. just buzzing around like the World, Cup, be, World Cup semi-final. I to, yeah, and and my work at the time were really good. I managed to box it off with them and sort of say, look, I'm going out, but if England win in the semi-final, then I'm going to stay in <laughs> Moscow for yeah. a few days. And and they and they were totally fine with it. Not interested. I, I, not I, interested I, in the third, fourth place playoff then. <laughs> no, I, I was like, I was like, look, if, I was like, my flight home is this time. Um, so I need a couple of days annual leave, but if we win and get to the final on Sunday, then don't expect me back for a week or so. And I'll take my laptop and work from wherever. Um, and they were really, they were really great. They yeah. were cool with me. For, Kudos to them that. for that. Um, that shows you know, flexibility because look, yeah. World Cups come around once every four years, don't they? Um, and you know they're yeah. not always easy to get to anyway. Uh, we're just lucky that it's a relatively. So no. You were just lucky that it was relatively close in terms of it being in Russia. You know, it could have been Brazil, it could have been Japan, yeah. it could have been South. Yeah. You know, you look at the ones that have reached me. Or Qatar coming yeah, up. Qatar. Um, uh, any any yeah. plan to get to Qatar? Uh, well, let's see. Let's see what happens. Uh, like I, I wouldn't have done until this COVID stuff came along. But now that we've had COVID and there's been, you know, no no opportunity to travel, um, let's sort of put a bit more fire in my belly, actually. So. I don't agree with it being in, in, in Qatar. Um, when you look at what's going on with the the way the stadiums have been yeah. built and and just really You're talking about the human um, rights stuff, yeah, you know, kind of how, yeah, yeah, it doesn't sit right with me, particularly when you've got people like Pep Guardiola that want to get involved in politics when it suits them, but also happy to take a backhander from the Qatar 2022 World Cup. Um, hosts, but that's we could get again have a podcast <laughs> devoted yeah. just to that, so. But but yeah, I think you know, mate. The way the world's gone with COVID and that, I'd I'd travel. I'd probably travel to go and watch the women's World Cup. Never mind watch the proper World Cup. Um, so yeah, let's see what happens. Good stuff. Good stuff. Anyway, um, Jay, it's been it's been absolutely fantastic having you on episode one. Um, been a pleasure talking to you. Some some great memories. Some great chat. Might not necessarily be as uh, fluent and structured, but. You know, as 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 other podcasts, but hey, it's raw. It's episode one. One thing that I will uh, I will say yeah, at the very start, I gave you the big build up. So we're going to go from Russia and dodgy, corrupt yeah. Moscow and wherever over to dodgy, corrupt mm-hmm. Bristol. Gave you the big build up at the very start. Yeah, Ashton Gate, Brian McDermott's yeah. first game, mm-hmm. and a brace of pheasants. You gotta tell us what on earth happened with yeah. that. Why? Yeah, so I can tell you what happened. So yeah, around that time, so um yeah, I was a young lad going to football and it was a Saturday before Christmas. 
boozy day out on the train in Bristol. Nice. Um, I was drinking in the city centre somewhere and remember like popping out the pub for a burger or something and I think it's like I think it's St Nicholas Market that's in the middle of Bristol and I was looking at this stall and this like butcher mate he was there and and he gave me some shit he was like I don't know he's, he's like you know don't look at my at the merch on my stall you, you know you're a young lad you won't be able to afford it or something I remember thinking fuck off I, what are you on about I said <laughs> I can afford stuff, like you know. And I said, and he, and he said, like what? And I said, I'll buy whatever the fuck I want. I said, how much are those? And he goes, he goes, I know. I said, how much is that? And I pointed at a pheasant, and he goes, well, that's a pheasant, and you have to buy him as a brace. It's a tenner a brace. It's a tenner. And I was like, All right, like, there you go. Then I have a tenner. Bag them up, please, John. And he looked at me like, and I said, you fucking know, it's a tenner. I've got a tenner out. And then I was like, oh, shit, I've got to carry these around all the time now. So I, 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 got, I, I made up, uh, I met up um, with a few other uh, fans at the pump house. Um, I was the in there, I vaguely recall. Yeah. I walked to the ground. Yeah, I, I think you were, yeah. And um, and then I, I, again, I was steaming and I've gone up to the ground. And, you know, as usual, when you're in a away game, the sort of stewards are like, spread them. So. <laughs> I've got his carry bag in one hand. I've just nonchalant. I've not even thought nothing of it. I've got it up in the air, and he's gone. Um, what's in the bag? I said, oh, it's a couple of pheasants. He said, "What are you doing with them?" I said, "Oh, um, oh, it's Christmas. I'm going to my auntie's after the game. She lives in Clifton. I'm doing, she's doing a pheasant pie for me." He goes, "Oh, you can't take these in the ground." And so I just went, "What? Of course I can." He said, "So I'm telling you now, you can't bring." pheasants into the ground so I was like you show, you get your ground regulations out mate and you show me where it says on the ground regulations that I cannot bring pheasants into the stadium and I think a few people have heard this one and, and he basically said look I'll, I'll leave them here at the turnstile I'll collect them at full time so obviously we yep. scored late on Simon uh, Church yep. Simon Church he then got sent off <clears throat> and then I'm like <laughs> yeah he got sent off and I'm euphoric and I'm, and I'm like give me my pheasants so I went back to the turnstile I got the pheasants um and 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 what was um, yeah quite funny is um, that night it snowed, but basically I wanted to go out in town, and obviously I was like, well, nowhere in town's going to let me in with um, without you know with these pheasants on me. And again, I was a young lad, so you know we would do silly. So things. you didn't take them up to your nan's in Clifton there's then. A bus stop. On. <laughs> no, no. There's a bus. There's a bus stop opposite Revolution um, on Station Road. So I just slung the carrier bag up onto the top of there with the pheasants still in. And um, yeah, it snowed that night. And then anyway, a couple of weeks later, one of the boys went past in a, ta- in a um, bus on the top deck. And he said, you never guess what? I've gone past still and there. there's pheasants still up there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah. But um, yeah, probably one of the most peculiar, well, not the most peculiar thing I've, I've taken to football, but it's right up there. It, it, it has got to be the most random story um, that I think I'll ever hear. Um, and I think that's that's a great place to finish. Jamie, you've been an absolute gent, diamond pleasure. Um, thank you very much for being the inaugural guest on, uh, on Terrace Memoirs. Um, guys, follow me on, on Twitter, at Terrace Memoirs. Get involved. Um, 
all feedback is uh, is most most welcome. Um, I can also be emailed at terracememoirs at gmail.com. Um, looking at getting a Facebook site set up, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll sort that out as and when I can, um, and various other, um, various other types of media as well. Um, I am doing this as a one-man band, so please bear with me. It is very, very new. Um, certainly, we'll have, uh, we'll have um, three or four more episodes lined up in the, uh, in the, the, coming, well, the coming three weeks, uh, three to four weeks, shall I say. Um, this is intended to be a, a weekly podcast. But in the meantime, as I say, I think Jamie has been an absolute, absolute diamond. Some of the stories that he's told, particularly that last one, I think is absolutely brilliant. Half of that I hadn't even heard. I just knew that he rocked up at a football ground with two <laughs> pheasants, which is just utterly, utterly random. So, Jamie, thank you very much. Um, and 